Hi there. You likely already know that helping your students grow into resilient adults is of the utmost importance. So is mindfulness the way? Today, I have on the show with me Matt Medali, who will try to answer this question. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are Teaching Tomorrow. I know Matt as a fellow teacher with me at the Bishop Strawn School, and I knew I had to interview him for this podcast when I heard through our school's grapevine about the mindfulness practices he does with his grade two students. Yeah, you heard right. Matt teaches people as young as seven and eight how to pay attention to their breath, develop emotional intelligence, and as he puts it, unruffle their feathers. All while also teaching them things like, oh, you know, math and science and literacy, no biggie. I so enjoyed my chat with Matt and felt so inspired to just start literally tomorrow with some of these very ancient and very accessible practices that anyone, anyone can do. So I had some minor microphone challenges with this episode so you can hear Matt perfectly, but my voice is a little harder to hear. I thought the content was good enough to make up for this issue and I think you will agree. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Matt Badali. I'm here with Matt Vidali, who is an amazing superstar teacher, and I'm going to start by saying that I had heard a lot of people talking about Matt Vidali and what he does with his grade two students before this. There were several teachers that had been talking about Matt Vidali um, in staff meetings, saying, you really need to talk to Matt and find out what he does with the students, because it's amazing. Uh, so I'm really happy to have you here and to be chatting with me. So Thank why you. Why don't you start by just saying uh, who you are what you're all about, um, and how you found yourself as a teacher. Well, I grew up in Toronto. I've lived in Toronto my whole life, so I'm kind of a city boy. And um, throughout uh, growing up in the city, I've just, you know, there's so many great things to do in the city. I love to run. I love to find little cafes in Kensington to write. Um, And then also I've had um, great experiences with meditation and doing martial arts and I really grew up um, kind of exploring all the different neighborhoods of Toronto and kind of all the food, all the cultures and um, yeah. And so all of those aspects, I guess, of a city kind of blend into who I am and um, have given me an appreciation for all different types of perspectives and... I love it. You're like actually the, the teacher of Toronto. That's I guess beautiful. so. <laughs> and how did you find yourself as a teacher? Like, what was your path to get to this profession? Um, it was actually uh, fairly direct. Like, in, uh, in high school, I worked at a summer camp, and I worked there for many, many summers and loved it. Loved working with young children, ages three to six. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on, I started to kind of feel like I had something to offer in terms of teaching, I guess. And so I started volunteering in inner city schools. I had some friends who were teachers at the time and they were much older than me, but I thought what they do sounds really cool. And they seem to really have this great, great sort of passion for inspiring young minds and all these connections they make and, and the sort of the rewards of teaching sounded really cool. And so I kind of pursued volunteering and then in my undergrad, I uh, tutored an, uh, a young man that was in uh, from an inner city school. Um, that's when I was at U of T, and I had this moment where um, he sort of was thinking like, "Oh, like why am I at U of T? Like why are they doing the tutoring here? They used to bus the kids in." Mm-hmm. And I said to him, he was in grade nine at the time. I said, "You know, you could go here one day 
And he kind of looked at me like shocked and thought, what are you talking about? And I said, you could come here for university if you want to when you're older. And just kind of his eyes sort of, I don't know, had this sparkle to them that didn't seem to be there for most of our tutoring over the several months. So anyway, I realized the power of teaching, the power of inspiring minds. And that's what really kind of drew me to it. I also, I sort of applied to teacher's college and law school at the same time. And (laughs) yeah, I did. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I decided, you know, how would I impact kids the most? And I thought with the direct, like direct teaching, like being with kids rather than sort of like doing something like child protection law or, or something related to that, which I think is, it would be a bit more distant for what I wanted to do. So I kind of, I, I started off like that. I think that the, there's a lot of beauty in that, actually, because I think the best teachers are ones that choose it deliberately rather than, oh, what else am I going to do? Like, I don't right. know what to do with this drama degree like I had. Right. But <laughs> that's, that's really beautiful. Um, and you teach with mindfulness in the background of your classroom, and you teach grade two students, mm-hmm. which I am a junior intermediate teacher, and I can't even fathom trying to be mindful with people in grade two. It, like, in my head, feels just like... <laughs> chaos on a stick so yeah tell me what does a mindfulness practice look like in your teaching in grade two well it sort of is a reaction to that typical <laughs> chaos you have in grade two i'm sure your um, teaching is not chaos if i had grade two students it would be mayhem but yeah. yeah no there's so many things pulling kids I think like I don't want to say like nowadays but it almost seems like <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, you're a young person we should probably preface that right don't know you. yeah you're I've been teaching for 10 years so I'm relatively you know it early and uh and so um anyway yeah the the typical pulls that children have on them like doing all the after school programs and all the sort of um pull from some parents to really achieve and mm-hmm. and do all the math programs after school and do um skating or swimming or karate and all those things that are amazing to do but sometimes it's all of those things and it sort of pulls children in all different directions and so sometimes they can come to the classroom and their mind is simply not as focused as it could be or as present as it could be because they're thinking of what they have to do after school or or they're worried about what's for lunch or they're worried about what uh, what the expectations are going to be um, coming up, you know, for the next school year even. And sort of like in grade two, they're thinking about grade three. And it's just sort of that childlike presence that sometimes gets a little bit evaporated with all the things going on in their lives. Um, so the practice that we've developed in the classroom has been very diverse and it's kind of developed over, this, over the year. Um, but the reason I kind of brought this to the classroom is because myself as a young kid, I was 12 years old when I started doing martial arts and I did karate, I did ancient weaponry and Tai Chi, Qigong. And I did that for about 15 years, 15 or 16 years. And throughout the martial arts training, you do lots of meditation. That's how you start every Mm -hmm. class. Mm -hmm. Um, Later in life, now that, now that I sort of left martial arts and now I'm a Reiki practitioner. It's yeah. it's an interesting segue. It kind of went from like karate, which is a lot of the fighting and a lot of direct sort of focus to Tai Chi, which is a lot more fluid in a way, but also has a martial aspect, but a lot more energy work. And then now Reiki, which is basically exclusively energy work. Yeah. Um, 
there's a lot of reflection in those practices. And so I think what's valuable is that time to reflect. And there can be a, a connotation with meditation that it's religious or it's spiritual, mm-hmm. and it can be, but it doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. And it can just be a reflective process or practice that you can kind of adopt in any way that feels comfortable for you. So with my class, we've really uh, worked on sitting, just silent sit for a minute, two minutes. So tell me, okay, like paint a picture. I'm picturing your classroom right now. You have how many students in your classroom? 20. And we both teach at an all-girls school, the Bishop Strong School. So they're 20 young girls. Mm -hmm. They come in, they sit down. Are they on a chair? Are they on the floor? Are they on a cushion? What are they sitting on? They're on a mix of different furniture. They're sitting on benches, on the carpet, on pillows, yeah, Mm -hmm. on blankets. Okay. And what sort of instruction do you give them? Like, it's the first time that they've done this. What do you say to them? So I'll say... We're going to try something new that you might not have done before. And some of them put up their hands saying, oh, I've done this before. I know how to do meditation or my mom does meditation. But I say we're going to sit still and we're going to try and sit as still as we can, like a statue. And we're just going to close our eyes for one minute. Mm -hmm. And we sit and it's really interesting. Some of them have, some children have a really hard time closing their eyes. I think it might have to do with trust and just trusting the surroundings and especially as you know, they're in a new classroom or with a new teacher at the beginning of the year, um, they're not always feeling totally secure in just closing their eyes and trusting that you know no one's going to poke them or you know uh, I don't know start braiding their hair or something, which happens a lot <laughs> in grade two. And there are disagreements. Um, usually, the girls are much more articulate in explaining what they're feeling, why they're feeling, and how they can come back to feeling like themselves or feeling calm or feeling, you know, that the, they've been put back together because maybe there's been some, some you know, teasing or maybe there is some unfair play at, play at recess or something like that that kind of ruffled some feathers and um, kind of using language to kind of unruffle those feathers is helpful. Just the, you know, being aware of emotions and feelings. And I love what you said that it's not about being calm all the time, that actually this practice is about noticing what's coming up and what's coming up might be frustration or anger or sadness or discomfort, but that you're just training these people to notice what is arising and, you know, to let it pass, just like everything passes. Exactly. Um, okay, so what have been some of the challenges or some of the roadblocks to putting this into practice with your students? I would say most teachers would agree that any, anything you're trying, any new initiative, um, it takes time. Mm-hmm. So I'd say time is one of the biggest challenges, um, especially in a busy environment like most schools are, um, finding that time to just to just be and just to even just to sit still or to sit quietly um, is can be challenging in a way so it's really about prioritizing it Mm -hmm. and um, uh, and they say you know what a teacher values sort of gets is is most present in their classroom so if a teacher values art there seems to be a lot of visual art in the classroom if a Mm -hmm. teacher values math strongly there's a lot of math in the classroom if a teacher values meditation and reflective time then there's some of that in the classroom 
I love that. And that reminds me of Parker J. Palmer's whole thing. Like you teach who you are. Like that's his whole thing from the courage to teach. Like you just, you just teach who you are. Exactly. Do you ever feel like you have to justify it to yourself? Like, no, 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 we need to take these few minutes right now. I have like these eight things to accomplish before the girls have to go off to swimming. Do you ever find that you have to justify it to yourself that it's Mm -hmm. important? Yeah, I do. And there's days that are very busy where you have like an assembly to run off to and you're just thinking you know i need to take attendance uh so and so wants to share this this thing from their cottage or you know you want to prioritize what the children want to also have that time for in the morning which is usually when we do our meditation to start the day but it really just takes a, a, like a gentle reminder to yourself like this one minute Mm-hmm. won't be make it or break it if we can carve out one minute and it's helpful i think to have a timer yeah. um, because eyeballing one minute when when you all close your eyes no one's looking at the clock obviously so if you have a gentle chime timer or if you as the teacher are you know keeping your eyes open you can have an egg timer mm-hmm. um, or an hourglass that you know won't make noise that you can just keep an eye on i love how simple it is though too like just set a timer for one minute and just let that be something that you hold sacred Mm-hmm. Classroom. And you can make it a challenge, make it kind of fun for the kids too. It doesn't have to be a solemn sort of, you know, <laughs> we're not at a retreat or something where you have to be silent for, you know, you do have to be silent, but mm-hmm. you don't have to be meditating, which is kind of an interesting perspective on this sort of practice is that it's not dogmatic in the sense that you must do X, Y, Z. But if a student is sitting in front of you and they just don't feel comfortable closing their eyes and taking three deep breaths with you and the rest of the class, you have to honor that also because we don't know what happened in the morning. We don't know what's going on in their mind. But just even the silence, I think, gives them that time to just be. Yeah. I've tried this a few times with my students and I always find, and I'm curious if this happens in grade two, that there's always one person who just starts giggling. Like they just Mm -hmm. (laughs) cannot handle the silence, like you said. And then they just start laughing and it is contagious. And then it just turns into this ripple effect where like the five students sitting around them start giggling. Have you ever had that happen? And how do you respond when that happens? Yeah. So something I remind myself of is trust the process. Yeah. And if what, if the giggling starts, let it be. It's just like in, in a mindful practice, if you have a thought that comes into your mind that you don't want there, it's not about eliminating the thought. It's about acknowledging that it's there mm-hmm. and just kind of embracing it and then letting it go when you're ready or when it's ready. So I think if the giggles start and everyone <laughs> breaks out into laughter, what's better than a whole class of children laughing, right? Good, good point. I love, <laughs> I love your perspective on that. I'm like, stop the laughter. And it's actually awesome. <laughs> laughter is good. And you know, a lot of the time is nervous laughter, so they kind of get it out of their system after the first couple times. Yeah, I, I think that that advice of trusting the process is so important that it's bigger than just this one session that didn't work. It's like a right. whole continuum. It's like a whole experience. Exactly. Mm. Uh, okay, so somebody listening to this is wondering, what do I do with my students? How do I start this? I, perhaps they don't actually have... A mindfulness practice themselves but they know that it would be helpful they know that their students would benefit from it what could you suggest to people who want to implement this um you know maybe in a couple of months or also just like tomorrow mm-hmm. um i really do think it, it starts tomorrow mm-hmm. it starts 
when you want it to start. Yeah, if you think like, oh, I'm going to start it in November, you might miss the train. Not because um, because you know they're not into it. It might be because the other priorities kind of get the better of you. Um, As they always do. Exactly. And I think that in my own meditation practice, it is so easy to let everything else go away or like stop the practice. So that is awesome advice. Make it happen now. I think to start now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, If not now, then when? And I think it can start with that one minute. It can start with a video that you find on YouTube mm-hmm. um, or an app that you might use from your phone or from a tablet or whatever you have accessible in your classroom um, and whatever you feel comfortable using. Because I think you have to be comfortable as the teacher facilitating a reflective practice. And it mm-hmm. can be what you, it could also be yoga. It could be um, whatever is your, your piece. Like you said, um, from Parker Palmer, like we teach who we are. And so if yoga is your thing, then maybe introduce that to your students and maybe it's chair yoga so they're not pulling out the mats and Mm. spreading out but maybe it's just them at their tables or their desks or wherever they are or maybe they're in their chairs turned in a certain direction so they can follow along or what have you um but i think so my advice would be to start tomorrow and to start with one minute and start with just breathing and i would also say if you're introducing it as a practice that you want your class to sort of um develop together Mm. then I think be explicit about what your goals are I think expectations always um, breed safety and security and I think students that are starting out with something just like as adults we go to a new and class of something new and we want to know what are we learning here and what is the outcome intended to be and so I think by saying we are going to try XYZ this is how we're going to start And this is how we are going to be doing that, um, whether it's sitting in a chair or closing our eyes or taking a deep breath and just starting with that. Just start with that. It sounds actually really, I don't want to say easy, but I feel like it sounds really accessible the way that you talk about it. I think it is. This big daunting thing that you need to have some massive expertise on. Right. And I think there are so many great apps and videos and things. But something that I remind myself about also is that this is these practices are thousands of years old before YouTube Mm -hmm. and before (laughs) before the app store existed. Mm -hmm. And so just being able to come together as a classroom community or a community of students on it, maybe it's a whole floor of students that meet in the hallway or whatever it is. Um, It could be also a small group of students. If you're working with a small group of three or four students um, or even two students, um, just getting together and sitting in silence. It's something that that the children really um, ended up valuing not necessarily at the beginning thinking you know this is boring but um there's a lot of of great things that the children had to say about meditation as we evolved the practice throughout the year what did you hear from your students and maybe more appropriately from the parents because i would assume that the parents might be a little bit more articulate in seeing how that kind of practice is impacting their child but um you know, did you hear any amazing stories from any of your parents about the changes that happened in your classroom Yeah, there is um, a couple come to mind. Uh, One parent was really thankful at the end of the year um, and sort of uh, had written me a little note saying, you know, thank you so much for introducing my daughter to meditation. I just love how she knows how to find calm in all of her Mm. all of her busy activities. Mm. Um, It's like teacher candy. right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. It was so nice to hear. Um, 
another parent wanted to know kind of what our journey was throughout the whole year and um, their family is actually moving to California and and this um, mom also practices yoga and meditation herself but she wanted to kind of know what her daughter was exposed to so that they could actually meditate together mm. and make the transition to a new school in a new city um, as seamless as possible by, by bringing some of these practices from our classroom maybe even into her new classroom but definitely into their new home I, like it just honestly i feel like my heart is swelling in my chest hearing that because <laughs> like that's really what we hope for in our students that they're yeah. able to be healthier humans in this world and that's what you're yeah. doing with this which is pretty outstanding yeah i have a few quotes from some of the kids if you don't yes. mind me sharing yes, um there's some really i don't know there you know as we start a practice um we i like to have them reflect on what they used to think and what they think now about meditation I love that. you know it's sort of um making thinking visible and uh, a thinking routine from there um, one student said, I used to think meditation was boring. Now I think meditation is very useful after recess or whenever you're hyper and you need to calm down. <laughs> um, another great one, which is, you know, these are coming from seven and eight year olds. And um, one student said, when I'm meditating, I feel like I don't need to worry about anything. Whoa. And you wonder, what's a seven year old worrying about? But it's not necessarily a worry that we might think of as adults, but still they're worries nonetheless. But it might be, actually. I mean, if you yeah. think about the Reggio philosophy, it's really that children are way more complex mm -hmm. than we usually give them credit for. So yeah. there could be some really big worries. For sure. And it might not be a worry like paying the bills, but <laughs> <laughs> it might be more exactly a worry that's really, really impactful on their, li on their life. Mm -hmm. Um, another student said, um, meditation is like bittersweet because you really like to be calm, but then you also want to be active. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so at the same time, while you're sitting still, you kind of want to be running around, but you also realize that sitting still is valuable. So it's bittersweet. Mm, that's pretty deep for a seven and eight year old. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're going to close up with our ticket out the door okay because we're teachers yeah and ticket out the door is our, <laughs> our preferred way of sending people out into the universe um so i'm going to ask you a series of rapid fire questions okay nothing to do with mindfulness although it might because you're a mindful person um are you ready for okay, it okay i'll okay. do my best okay, <laughs> here we go what is your favorite book to read with students my favorite book to read with students, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yay, I love that one. That's like my favorite childhood movie. Um, <laughs> if you weren't a teacher, what would you be? I don't know. Maybe a child and youth worker? Yeah, you'd probably be working with children. In I think capacity. so. Not a lawyer. Not a lawyer. No. <laughs> um, favorite thing to do after school once you get home? Netflix. <laughs> I'm a real person. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Favorite show to watch on Netflix right now? Ooh, favorite show... Um, oh my gosh, there's so many. What are you currently watching? If I were to go into your recently watched, what would I well, say? Well, I really like those BBC detective shows, yes. so one of those. <laughs> Amazing. Um, favorite school holiday? Summer. Yeah. Uh, who is your alter ego as a superhero? Oh, a real superhero or one that I make up? Either. One that can fly. Yes. <laughs> um, and then finally, what's the best teacher gift you've ever received? Oh, I honestly, this sounds cheesy, but I think it'd be one of those cards that's really meaningful. 
and has that message in it that you're just like, okay, I have to put this in the box. That's a keeper. Yeah. Something about how you taught them to be more mindful. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. You have been just a delight and I'm really excited to hear all the feedback that people have when they start just putting a timer on for one minute and sitting with their students, whether they're giggling or not. <laughs> so thank you for coming. Hopefully there's some giggles. Yeah, yeah. you would want some giggles. I yeah. A huge thank you to Matt Vidali for joining us on this episode of Teaching Tomorrow. Remember, you can check out the show notes to get some of those links that Matt mentioned in his conversation and to go a little bit deeper when bringing some mindfulness to your students. If you liked what you heard today, please take a few moments and rate this podcast on iTunes to help other people bring a little more awareness and peace to their students. That's all we have time for today, folks. Stay cool. And remember, we are Teaching Tomorrow.